Hello and welcome to the New Lines podcast. I'm Lydia Wilson and this is a podcast where we delve into some of the biggest ideas, events and personalities in the Middle East and beyond. As the Russian army continues to push towards Kyiv, it is important to remember that Russia's war against Ukraine did not begin with the invasion. Rather, the invasion is the latest escalation in a decade-long war designed to destabilize Ukraine and force it back into the Russian fold. My guest today is Kalani Pickard, whose debut book, I Will Die in a Foreign Land, follows its four central characters through the 2013 Euromaidan uprising in Ukraine. The uprising led to the overthrow of Ukraine's pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych, and marked the beginning of Ukraine's international reorientation towards the EU. My guest today is Kalani Pickard, whose debut book, I Will Die in a Foreign Land, follows its four central characters through the 2013 Euromaidan uprising in Ukraine. The uprising led to the overthrow of Ukraine's pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych, and marked the beginning of Ukraine's international reorientation toward the EU. Kalani's characters are fictional. It is a novel, not a memoir. But their experiences of the uprising and of the subsequent war with Russia-backed separatist militias in the East are based on meticulous real-world research and consultation with Ukrainian contacts. The novel was published just five months ago and was hailed by a number of outlets, including the New York Public Library, as one of the best books of 2021. Kalani, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Lydia. Now, when you published your novel only five months ago, could you have imagined how quickly the topics you were writing about would become global news? I certainly did not. Um, I was watching the Russian troops line up against the border, but I, I think that yeah, I was I was not prepared for this turn of events, and um, it seems that many of us and many Ukrainians were not either. But still, you you must have felt that there was a reason to bring that topic to an American audience. You were writing well before the invasion, but you must have felt there was some other resonance for the American reader with what was happening many thousands of miles away in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did start this book during the uh, 2016 presidential election, and we ended up getting um, Donald Trump as our president, and it became really important to me to tell the story of these people in Ukraine because our president was so aligned with Russia. And I had only been introduced to the topic that year uh, through watching a documentary on um, the Euromaidan protests, but it became more more resonant as time went on due to the election and um, subsequently the um, continued war that was going on in the eastern part of Ukraine. So I'm curious, what kind of response did you have to the book when it came out, but in the months before the invasion happened? I've been fortunate that many English-speaking Ukrainians have read the book and identify with it and are pleased that it's a story that has sort of reached a wider audience. It, it was good to hear, especially since I, you know, I'm not from Ukraine. So it meant a lot to hear that and to know that it was being received by the people that I cared about and wanted to tell their story as authentically as possible. 
Yeah, I'm interested in that imagined audience that you had while you were writing and whether that actually has since changed, you know, your intended audience. Because, of course, it's written in English, uh, but you also do use the Cyrillic alphabet when you're um, writing just the occasional thing in Russian and there's Ukrainian. And there is also a real depth to the cultural and historical material you're drawing on all the way from life under Stalin to Chernobyl right through to the present day. And there are there are references that will be familiar to Ukrainian readers and you don't always explain them for a wider audience. So, you know, it's not Ukraine 101, in, in other words. <laughs> yeah. Um, who were totally. you writing for and did that change? Yeah, I was I was writing for um, an American audience, probably, you know, not, you know, just it's since it's a literary book. I mean, it's not you know, it's going to have a, a particular audience anyways. But I was writing for people who were unaware of the conflict. And I was also writing for people who wanted to learn more. And, you know, it, I mean, I was its primary audience, I guess, in the beginning. Um, I cared about the story. And I wanted to learn more about and I was able to really dive into research, which was something that I'm very passionate about and very excited about as a writer. So my goal ultimately was to, even though the book isn't necessarily for um, everyone, I was trying to make the book as accessible as possible without sacrificing any of the sort of intellectual meanderings or, um, you know, complex themes. So you say you're not you, you know, you don't have that direct link to Ukraine yourself. What drew you to those events that you've you've spent such a long time and so much research putting into this novel? I think it's for the same reason that so many of us are seeing Ukrainians and President Zelensky, his character coming out in a way that um, is completely surprising and, you know, impressive to the world. Ukrainians are just tough people and they have incredible grit and determination and i think that especially at a time where american democracy was changing radically um in 2016 2017 and so on the story became more important and more relevant i think for me and also more relevant i think for an american audience because we can see now how this idealism of democracy is something that we take for granted. You know, seeing Ukrainians refuse to leave their homes and the president staying in Kiev despite being advised to leave is just, uh, I think, I think it just shows their incredible spirit and their willingness to fight. So... No, that has been very striking. The Maidan revolution is, of course, the backbone of the story you're telling, but you've you've quite intentionally rooted that in a much, much longer history. Within the first 14 pages alone, you've referenced Stalin, the Cossacks, Byzantium, the Mongols and the Scythians, who some of them inhabited the area thousands of years ago. Um, and so you must have spent a lot of time thinking about how the events of the last 10 years fit into the centuries of history preceding them. Yet most American analysis of the conflict is only really putting it in the context of the post-Cold War period. Mm -hmm. So what do you think we miss when we don't take that much longer view of the history that your book does? 
Um, I think we miss just more and more context. I mean, it's, it is surprising to me that we are only looking at it from a Cold War perspective because it does go back so much further than that. So I think that there's something missing from history when we don't look at like the, the imperialism of the Russian Empire and how that shaped relations with Ukrainians and, and Slavic people. And the further I went back into history, you could see these repeated attempts from the Russian Empire to just erase uh, Ukrainian culture. And so you can very much see what's going on now in that broader historical arc then. Are you seeing this as just another example of something that's happened many times before? Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's very cliche to say so, but, you know, history repeats itself. And it, it became so clear to me the the patterns and um, the cycle that history went through for this particular conflict that seeing it now is just absolutely surreal. Well, you certainly showed a lot of detail about the 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 barricades at the Euromaidan. You showed the violence in 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 great detail um, coming from the police and the security services, and also through the kind of field hospital that was set up in the church. But you also showed that great spirit of solidarity and 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 and, I, and resistance you know that spirit that you've been talking about a spirit of resistance of trying to protect your identity your homeland democracy rights but what were you trying to portray of the atmosphere and the emotion of this time in Ukraine and was there a model that you were working with at all it's hmm. a good question um I mean it is a it is a story of place and having having a sense of both like the chaos of the moment and the unpredictability of the moment, but also having a sense of familiarity, at least for the the individuals that we hear from, like Katya and Misha um, and Slava, like this is their neighborhood. This is their home. You know, I'll see you at St. Michael's. Are you going to Maidan? You know, I'll see you at my apartment. Like this is familiar for them. Um, but the circumstances that they're living through aren't. It's completely turned into sort of like a war zone. So the model that I think I was looking at was with the overall themes of the book. I mean, I was definitely uh, taking pieces from the unbearable lightness of being from Milan Kundera about the 1968 Warsaw invasion of Prague and how sort of unsettling that was for the people there I went to Kiev, I went to Prague, and being in those spaces where there's still remnants of the protests, at least in Kiev, solidified like the realness of the project that I'm that I was working on. Um, even though the characters themselves aren't real people, they represent real people during that time. How do you see your characters now in this current situation? What do you see has come from that Euromaidan that's carried into the current situation in Ukraine? I think looking back now at the book, like as if I were working on this in the moment, I think that there's just a tremendous feeling of continued loss that, you know, these things that Misha and Katya and Slava were you know, essentially like fighting for or showing up for, you know, the city center and their country, Ukrainians are are showing up for battle in the same way that they showed up at Maidan. 
are they the same people showing up is this is this a conti- one continuous movement do you think is there a continuity between Maidan and who's showing up to fight now I mean I think there is I also think that you know Maidan was eight years ago so we're also seeing another generation of protesters and fighters coming out younger people but would your characters be showing up do you think what would they be doing Misha um Misha would oh, let's have not have any spoilers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, yes, I won't okay. give I won't give anything away, but Misha would obviously be, I think, present very much. And um Katya, it's hard to say. Um, I think that it's hard to say with uh, you know, her being a, a mother and that sort of thing. Slava would have definitely returned home. Um now all this time history is moving on very quickly how do you decide when you're writing fiction how do you decide what to include and what do you leave out i mean how did you even decide when this when your novel was 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 done when the conflict was far from over i think when i started this book the section that it ends on was originally in the beginning and as you said the history is so vast that I didn't worry too much about where it would end. I knew that it would end shortly after the war in Donbass started. You know, we start from this moment of protest against essentially Russian rule, you know, Russian influence. And then we'll be ending the story at a new attempt to invade the country while there's this sort of unknown with the current government. I wanted it to end, I think, at a moment where the reader recognizes the emotional significance of that invasion. Like, this is their home and this is their identity as, like, Ukrainian. And and so in the context of that, to leave the reader there to sort of, like, meditate on that and the impact of that was important. So do you think that fiction can actually convey that reality, that emotion of of, of a war or a revolution in a, in a deeper way than perhaps nonfiction? I think that they both work together. Um, I think that there's a place for both. Um, I certainly couldn't have written the novel without journalism. That's why journalism does show up in in the book itself in different forms. There are so many journalists that were reporting and um, there were archives that, you know, digital archives of these reporters' work and photographs that were integral to the writing of the book. So in that way, they were definitely telling a story that was like powerful. I think that what fiction allows is they come to such a close space with somebody who's in that moment. Um, reportage has sort of a distance and fiction allows you to get like right into that moment to where you are in Katya's head. And there's these explosions and Molotov cocktails and like all of these things in the the people crying in the hospital, the makeshift hospital, and you're in that moment with her. Did you find that difficult to fictionalise what you were reading in journalism? What what was and continues to be, all the time you were writing, it continued to be a very real conflict. Mm-hmm. Did, did, you find that, did you find that hard? I found it difficult in the sense that I wanted to do it justice. I wanted to tell the story in a way that if a Ukrainian were to read the story, they would feel that it was a good representation of that time and place and the situation. But in terms of accessing the emotional center, it was definitely easier for me to access Katya than some of the others at first. And part of that was because she's a Ukrainian-American coming in as an outsider. 
that was a strategy that I used. Like a lot of readers are coming to this and I am coming to this as an outside person. And how would Katya see this, this conflict and this situation take place? Well, that is the obvious question, isn't it? And it's perhaps not an easy one about your role in the story yourself. You're not Ukrainian and you weren't in Maidan at the time of the events. And so to some extent, it's a reconstruction of of something that you didn't actually experience. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you feel that there were maybe parts of the story or the revolution that you might have missed, or do you actually feel that that outsider's eye of your character, Katya, helps you to understand the events better, perhaps? As a writer who was not at Maidan, the experience of being at Maidan is going to be insanely different and insanely real. So by no means do I feel like I've had the same sort of like experience of Maidan as anybody who is actually there. I think that it's um, more of a, uh, I think that for me in writing this, it's more of like um, honoring those people who were there and when I was in Kiev, it was emotional for me because I, I mean, I stayed in a place that was on Shovkolchina Street. So I was right in the center of where there were ultimately the shootings. And um, I could walk, I could walk to all of these places. Like I got a sense of like what it was like to be on Kostradik Street and being at Maidan and going into the um, church and you know, hearing the bells and that became more real for me. I feel like I was honoring those those folks who were actually there. So with that connection, how did you feel with all of this footage that we're living with now in this last couple of weeks, seeing these places that you've written about on, on in such detail, um, the same places being invaded, bombed, or, or being used as shelters. How, how, how has that been for you? Um, it's been really hard. Um, it has been really difficult. I, I've, I've just really followed the conflicts and the, you know, down to the locations as closely as I can um, and seeing the people seeing people struggle through this is just absolutely unreal to me. And I'm heartbroken over the lives that are being lost. And um, also the, the like cultural heritage that's being destroyed by Russian bombs. It's, it's, it's a tragedy. It's, it's, yeah. And as you said earlier, um, only the latest in many attempts to erase a Ukrainian identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and and you've you've worked quite hard, haven't you, to put some of that culture into the book? And I'm thinking in particular of the Kabzari folk songs um, that I I certainly hadn't heard of this before, mm-hmm. and they some of them feel quite uncanny. There's this strange melding of very modern seeming events told in a very traditional feeling way. Was that your stylistic choice, or was it something that you've noticed in some of the research material that you then decided to to capture in your writing? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, that voice, the Kobzari voice, sort of emerged. Um, in sections where I was originally writing through um, Alexander's perspective. Um, but Alexander is a, um, he's Russian. And I knew that that 
was it, it became clear that this was a distinctive different voice and um so i could tell though that from listening to um different ukrainian folk songs um and seeing them performed while also reading some of the more like uh classical ukrainian poetry translations um for you know especially like tara shevchenko i was really trying to tap into that um into that sort of storytelling you know he's he's telling stories and about you know the cossacks and this and that you know and and so i wanted to be able to tap into that so it felt um as if there was this continuation of these bard songs that are being sort of told it's sort of as if like the if you know a greek chorus had never actually stopped singing the history of battles and that sort of thing in greece you know they just continued on through time um that was kind of like my vision for it and um you've clearly poured your heart and soul into this novel but you've also poured ukraine's heart and soul into it and i wonder how easy it is to move on to a new project after you've immersed yourself in a culture as you have and formed such an intense relationship with an entire country i mean you must have asked yourself the, the same question what next i mean did there's sadly plenty of material for a sequel given the events of the last month are you going to go back to ukraine for your next book i don't i don't know I, I will say that it is really hard to move away from uh, the book for many different reasons. Um, but now because of um, these attacks that are happening, um, it's even harder to sort of emotionally distance enough to even think about another project. Even though I'm not Ukrainian, I feel very close to what's happening um, because of the, the book and um, because of the Ukrainians who have reached out to me who have read it and treasure it and so at this moment it's very hard for me to think about um, writing something new only because my emotional space is dominated by current events. Well, Kalani Picard, thank you very much for joining us. Um, you can find Kalani on Twitter at Kalani Picard. Her debut novel, I Will Die in a Foreign Land, is available to buy from $2 Radio in the United States. The proceeds of your purchase will be donated to the Ukrainian Red Cross and ICRC Ukraine. This week's podcast was produced by Joshua Martin and hosted by me, Lydia Wilson. You can subscribe to the New Lines magazine podcast on your favourite podcast app. And of course, you can find more of the best stories from the Middle East and beyond on our website, newlinesmag.com. Thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye.